Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today we have a special treat. We've got a lion hunter on the phone. We've got Andy Knowlton with Rimrock Outfitters out of Sonoida, Arizona. Andy, how you doing? Pretty good, Jay. Thanks for having us on. Yeah, you know, I've I, uh, had Floyd Green on the podcast before. He's the only lion guy that I've that I can remember having on. And I I know you do things other than lions, but lion hunting is your true passion. Uh, tell me a little bit about how you got your start chasing lions. Yeah, Jay, I, I grew up in northern Arizona, up in, in Prescott, and ran around those hills hunting about everything we could. Um, did mostly archery hunting in my early teens and into my early 20s, and then I moved down to Tucson to go to college at U of A, and had I'm sorry about that. that. Did you not? Were, could you not make it in ASU? So you you went down and went to U of A. No, I just I just used the better judgment that I'd been raised. <laughs> I better go to the real college. So <laughs> anyway, no, U of A just had a better a better wildlife program at the time, and so that's what I got my degree in in natural resources. So gotcha. the plans on maybe one day working as a biologist, wildlife biologist, but ended up ended up going a different route and anyway so when I moved down to southern Arizona I'd met a guy that had some had some hounds and been want wanted to do it for a long time we always had hunting dogs growing up but never never big game hounds and about every kid I knew that that was crazy about them probably all from the red fern grows any of us that have read that book it it sure stuck with you and I always thought it'd be a neat neat way to hunt. So I think I was about 20, 20 years old when I got my first dog. So I've been at it about, about 15 years now and it's, it's been uphill the whole time. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's been not... an uphill. <laughs> um, how much time would you consider Andy, as far as, you know, one of the things about being a lion hunter in the state of Arizona is you get a lot of time to hunt give give the listeners a rough idea of how much time you're out either chasing lion, you know, checking for sign or, you know, just just out there looking around. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a full-time thing. I know a lot of guys say that. I I don't guide full-time personally. I I got a job, but my hunting partner's Randy Epperson. That's Josh Epperson's dad. They they kind of started the Rimrock Outfitters in the 80s. 80s 90s and then I kind of took it over Josh has gotten busier these last few years but it's it's pretty much Randy and I with the hounds and then Josh guides guides with us sometimes with the dogs but he mostly does deer and elk and then Jake Lindsay's one of our guides too that takes deer and elk hunters um but any any more most of our hunts like I say we we don't do it full-time we we own the dogs full-time but we don't make a living at it guiding but Randy's retired so that Randy hunts easily five to six days a week, pretty much year round. Even even in the summers, he's out checking and exercising dogs and trying to get starts on new pups and whatnot. And I'm I do the best I can. I work shift work, so my, my job allows me quite a bit of time. So I I'm out three to four days a week, pretty pretty consistently throughout the year. And during the winter months, when the weather's a little nicer in Arizona, we you know bump it up to four or five, six days a week. Would you say um, your geographic location where you're, you're living in Sonoida, um, that obviously enables you to hunt 
and kind of strike most units in southern Arizona. Um, what are a handful of the units that you that you kind of keep an eye on and are constantly checking for sign and tracking uh, for lions in in southern Arizona? Sure, sure. We, yeah, the, the thing with lions, they're they're a pretty fluid species. They're they're constantly moving and on the go and between you know the rare chance they're killed by another lion the hunters killing them lion hunters and you know deer hunters or or coyote hunters or whatnot so they're it's it's pretty rare anymore to even be another friend of mine a good friend of mine i hunt with is donnie finn he's a houndsman down here and we hunt quite a bit together and we we were just talking about the other day. It's it's pretty rare anymore to even catch a lion older than five years old. Even down here, where a lot of them come, we get the influx of lions from Mexico. But they just there's there's so many hunters nowadays, not just hound hunters. I'm talking predator callers and guys sitting on hills with binoculars. That these these lions don't get to be very old anymore in this part of the state. You get up in northern Arizona, we and I go up there and hunt quite a bit too, up by the Strip and around the Grand Canyon. You you can get a little more remote areas where hunters don't access as well, and those lions tend to get a little older. But anyway, to get back to your question was they – so they're constantly moving and disappearing, so to say. So, yeah, we, we cover quite a bit of country checking and once we find a decent amount of sign in an area then we'll we'll work it and hunt it and basically you know till we get what we're trying to accomplish whether we got a hunter to kill the lion or we're just trying to catch him and do dog training so yeah i I live in unit 34a so we hunt we hunt all over right right around here any of the 36s we hunt 33 32 um we hunt a little bit in 31 um and then, like I said, Randy's kind of the other half of the operation. He's up in the Verde Valley, and he's he's been shoot. Randy's been hunting lions for fifty years. So I there's there's very 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 rare time that I've been out with Randy in the fifteen years I've known him, where we've been somewhere he hadn't already been. <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask you about that. You know, just like deer hunters, elk hunters, what have you, everybody's kind of got their spots that they like, and it seems like. More and more, it, it, from my perspective, it seems like there's a lot of people that have, you know, got a string of dogs. Um, granted, not all, you know, just like deer hunters, not all houndsmen are, are, are good houndsmen. Not saying they're bad people, but there's some that are more experienced than others. But with a lot of people getting dogs and it being, a, you know, pretty popular, I'm sure it's still, it, it, well, my question is this. Is it kind of like deer hunting spots where you still are kind of like, man, I, I kind of like hunting this country and, you know, to drive by and see someone with dog boxes. Is it a little bit like, like, like the deer hunting public land kind of um, perception where it's like, dang it, I, I, I used to have this country to myself and now, you know, I've seen several rigs with dog boxes? Well, yeah, yes and no. And I we hunt mostly the dirt. I mean, we, if it snows, by all means, we got we know where lions are. We're going to go hunt them in the snow. We, we're not against that, but the majority of guys with dogs tend to just kind of sit around and wait for a storm. And, and, and that's fine. A lot of guys don't have the time to, to hunt and work the dogs in the dirt, which, you know, it's a, it's a totally different game. I always tell people hunting lions in the snow and hunting them in the dirt. It's like football and golf. 
there's a ball involved, but that's about the end of it. <laughs> <laughs> so you're talking dry ground. Your favorite is dry ground uh, lion hunting, where you're you're sure, sure. you're you're seeing a track on dry ground. You're not relying on snow, and then you're trying to figure out how old that track is, and then you're you're turning the dogs loose, and if 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 it's a tom or whatever, and then you're the race is on. Sure, and and it's. I mean, you say figure out. I, if I figure one thing out, one thing out every time I'm out hunting, I'm pretty happy with that. There's just so much that there's every single track is different, and and, and we hunt we hunt all ways. We we hunt off horseback a lot. That's our favorite way to hunt off the mules, and because it, it really forces the dogs to hunt and have to learn, and then you're exposing them to all the off game they're not supposed to be hunting, and and the best dogs I've ever been around hands down have been horseback dogs and and i've hunted with with quite a few decent lion hunters and way better lion hunters than me and it and it just seems like the guys that just drive around in trucks and and dump dump out on hot tracks that's what those dogs are used to running is just hot tracks so they're not really ever forced to to pick up that faint scent and and really work a track so um as far as number of hunters i like i said yeah i've been just about 15 years at it and to me it, it's it's the same i mean i see hunters no more now than i did when i started but talking to randy that i think when he when he first got started he he told me a story one time he went up on the kayabab on a snow and the snow had been on the ground for a week and a half and there hadn't been any trucks down the road and they cut lion tracks all over the place now you can't even and I, i'm talking up in uh 12A and 12A West, and you you can't even go up there right now on a storm. Those trucks, there's trucks driving 24/7, guys looking for tracks, you know. And it's it's just evolved into a different thing. And and not saying all all guys with dogs don't love their dogs, but it's just it seems like a lot more lion hunters get into it just to catch and kill the lions and get the numbers up and and. and you know, they they turn them into these big truck convoys where there's eight or ten trucks out looking for a lion track, and man, they they sure can swarm a mountain range, and it, it sure makes it t- tough. So we don't we don't really go mess with that too much. We'd rather just go out with us and a friend and just our pack of dogs and go go work the the country in the dirt. So yeah, for sure. Um, in in those units in southern Arizona, like 34A, you know, like the 36s. Um, if you've spent the last 15 years running around out there, you have seen a lot of crazy stuff with, uh, you know, some of the illegals and, and some of the, you know, aliens and some of the, the, the trafficking and what have you, uh, do you have any, uh, do you have any quick stories of anything, uh, anything that's happened to you or anything you've actually witnessed? Oh man, we haven't. Nothing, nothing more than probably the average deer hunter sees. Actually, the deer hunters probably see more than us because they're sitting up on hills with binos, you know, and they kind of get to observe. Um, we're coming through the mountains with dogs and hollering at them and riding horsebacks. So we're we're making quite quite a bit of noise. But um, a couple times we've rode up on guys, you know, packing dope, and it, that's always a hairy feeling. But I I never feel unsafe, so to say. You know, you hear lots of stories of guys seeing drug runners carrying guns and shooting at hunters and everything. But I, 
personally me and the the few guys I know that spend a ton of time out down here it's it's not that's not the reality of it usually when you run into those drug runners and they're carrying the dope they either drop it and they run or we just wave at them and go the other way you know it's just kind of I I don't think those guys want they don't want the exposure and the attention because then it puts the heat on them so they're not gonna they're not gonna they got to be pretty desperate to you know come and contact with you and really cause some kind of conflict so yeah not to mention they know you're probably packing and they probably realize that if if they came at you on horseback that uh your dogs would probably tear the guy up if your dogs were (laughs) anywhere around i i've always wondered that too um how in a situation like that would your dogs all of a sudden become like territorial of you and would they would would most of your dogs jump right in the middle of somebody if if they felt like that guy or or a group of guys was you know coming at you would they be all over them man i'd i'd like to think so that'd give me a good peace of mind but <laughs> my dogs my dogs are kind of spooked shoot man i i've rode up on a windmill before and they start barking at it and run the other way so i don't <laughs> i don't know if they would um Tell me about your dogs. How many dogs do you have and kind of what's their breeding? You know, what, what kind are they? Yeah, I, we run kind of just a mixture, Jay. We have, I have, what I got? I have nine dogs right now and half of them are in training. The other half kind of know what they're doing. And Randy, I think, has got five or six. And we, we kind of just get pups from guys that we know are, are honest people and good hunters and, and, that's probably that's probably the hardest thing I've learned and still learning is I, I know you're a big fly fisherman and I'm I'm sure you've talked to some guys that have just told you some whoppers, but I guarantee you that houndsmen are even worse. There's you you wouldn't you wouldn't believe the stories guys come up with and 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 when you're first when you're first getting started and you don't know any better, you kinda I think any of us just naturally believe what people are saying, but then you go out there and spend years and go through dog after dog doing it. And it's like, that just doesn't seem, none of it adds up. And anyway, so what I was getting at is there's, you know, everyone that's got a hound for sale, it's the best dog that's ever, ever hunted. Oh yeah. Thing, you know, so it, it yeah, can it, run it, any lion track, no matter how, how old it is. When you hear that, exactly. you probably run the other way. <laughs> exactly. So we, we just, over the years have kind of selected what, what kind of lines, have work and work for how we hunt and we we got a little bit of everything some are blue ticks some are walkers some are kind of just crossed up we we hunt a little bit of plot blood which kind of surprises most guys they they tend to be a um kind of a more gritty bear dog a lot of guys use them on bears and even hogs in like texas but there's a few lines of plots that and they just kind of look like a little fat black brindle dog and um there's a few line of them that are really trail minded. So if they, you know, and they, they don't know they've been bred for bear or hog or whatever, those, those pups, whatever you expose them to, you know, and if they got the, those genetics in them and the instinct to trail and catch game, they'll, they'll, they'll dang sure do it. So. That's great. Uh, let's take a quick break here. GoHunt.com Insider is currently working hard on year-over-year draw odds. This will be a very nice enhancement. As you can imagine, this will include more data and allow people to find important trends. Additionally, GoHunt.com Insider will be adding guided draw for New Mexico and Nevada, 
and we'll finally have Arizona draw odds, which everybody's pumped for. The Arizona draw odds will be insanely accurate. GoHunt.com Insider has worked very closely with the Arizona Game and Fish Department to get all of the data needed. This will all be live before the end of the year. If you're not already a member of GoHunt.com Insider, go to GoHunt.com forward slash jscott to sign up and receive a $50 Kuyu gift card. I have known the owners of the Outdoorsman's in Phoenix for over 20 years. They are the authority on optics and hunting gear. Outdoorsman's is the leading designer and manufacturer of high-quality tripods, mounting accessories, and pack systems for all hunters. Their customer service is the best in the business. Go to Outdoorsman's.com or call 1-800-291-8065 and use the J. Scott promo code to receive 10% off any products. Andy, I want to encourage the listeners to check you out on Rimrock Outfitters on Instagram. Uh, I've been a follower of your Instagram for a long time, and one of the things that I really enjoy is you kind of capture the true essence, and I know it's hard with a camera, uh, but for whatever reason, not many of the houndsmen out there are actually taking some of the photos and trying to kind of, you know, capture with with a camera what you guys encounter on a day-to-day basis so want to encourage the listeners to um, check out Andy's page at Rimrock Outfitters Um, but one of the things that I notice is you run some trail cameras Um, I've got a couple questions about that do you run the trail cameras strictly to try and catch a, a lion on on camera or are those cameras that are mainly set out for deer and you catch a lion on them every once in a while I'm, I'm glad you brought that up, and I appreciate those nice words you said. I, Yeah, that's kind of one of the things that I guess I – and everyone's different, but it seems like, Jay, anymore hunting's become such a popularity sport and become so commercialized that it just – it can even – you know, I'm sure you've experienced it. It kind of just gets overwhelming trying to keep up, and, and, I, and I'm guilty of it as anyone. We get frustrated with what – what's so-and-so doing or what are they using or, you know, lion hunting goes, what's so-and-so catching or what, what kind of dogs are they running and what kind of equipment they got. And really it, it, it just kind of, for me anyway, it, it sours it a lot that way. And so I try to really remember and stay focused on what, what I got into it for originally and just, just the love of the dogs and, and lion hunting is training hunting dogs. You get to spend a ton of time out there because you, you have to, to have any kind of, any kind of dogs that are, that are worth their salt it's just time and time and time out there and and the better dogs i've had over the years are the ones i've spent the most amount of time with so um anyway so that's what we try to represent with with a lot of our i say a lot of our social media stuff but we we don't do too much um other besides instagram we just really enjoy posting the pictures and sharing sharing our stories and our, our experiences um as far as the trail cameras, yeah, I, I've run trail cameras, Jay, I bet for, I bet it's been almost 20 years now. I bet, I remember my first trail camera, a friend of mine, him and I put it together. It was in an old ammo case and we had a 35 millimeter camera and we got a little servo, which is just a little basically gear device out of a remote control car and we wired it to a floodlight sensor and when that sensor would trip, it would trip that servo and that servo would take the little pin and push it down and, and turn the camera on and take a picture. 
<laughs> wow. Bet, yeah, it was pretty rough. And, you know, we got maybe one picture of a rabbit and 35 pictures of the, of the grass blowing, but we would, you'd have to run into Walgreens and sit there and wait for an hour for your pictures to get developed. You know, I remember that. And those, those trail cameras have come such a long way. It's just incredible. But, um, and I'm glad you brought it up. There's something pretty, pretty important. I want to talk about with those cameras as far as lion hunting. Um, but yeah, we run, we run lots of cameras. I run anywhere from 10 to 20 of them and pretty much strictly for lions. I, I got a few out on deer spots, but I don't, if I get to deer hunt five days a year, I'm, I'm pretty lucky. I'll go out with Jake or Mark, or if my friend Donnie has a tag, we'll, we'll go hunt, but it's, it's pretty hard to spend time out there on that when you know you got a pack of dogs at home that need some need some exercise so um anyway so yeah the majority of my cameras we put out specifically for lions and we we set them up anywhere from random spots to spots we know they frequent to you know if we find an area where lions lions have been making kills we'll put them on that because sometimes the lions will come back and revisit those old kill sites but Josh runs them too, scouting for whitetail. Josh is a big whitetail nut, and Randy's got some for for lions, and um, Jake runs some for whitetail. So a lot of those pictures we got on there, are, you know, kind of a mixture of all of them. It's a co- collective effort. Um, when when you're putting a camera out to try and catch a lion, are you? I mean without giving your secrets away, are you putting them in saddles? Are you putting them on springs? Are you putting them on, you know, scrapes that, that, that you know, are you, is there like a, a place that you'd say, yeah, if I could put it here, I probably eventually going to get a lion or is it more strategic than that? As far as I'm going to wait till I see a, a scrape um, and I'm going to put it on that scrape and that Tom hopefully will come back and I'll get a picture of him. No, Jay, there, there, shoot, there's no secret to hunting lions. You can, if a guy put a lot of time into it, I bet you could learn to hunt a lion in a winter as far as the actual cougar species, like their habits and everything. If you're paying attention and watching and shoot, some of the best whitetail hunters I know can pick up lion tracks and lion sign as, as good as any lion hunter. And, and that's, there's really no challenge in my, I shouldn't say no challenge, just the challenge doesn't come in learning what a lion does. The challenge comes in reading your dogs and trying to catch that lion. And, and you can't even say outthink them because the lions, they're not, in my opinion, not a very smart animal. The, a coyote's 10 times smarter than a lion, but lions are just super instinctive and secretive by nature. And so that's what makes them, you know, so elusive. It's not that they're, they're outsmarting us and, and so as far as where we set the cameras, yeah, we, we just find sign areas that we trail through often. Man, we've trailed through this saddle two times this month. Let's put a camera up. Or anytime you find those those scratching spots, we, we always hang a camera on there. We got some pretty good video this summer down along the border of lions making scrapes and checking them. And, and, and those cameras, Jay, have, they have changed, I'm, I'm sure, for deer hunters and, and elk hunters and turkey hunters, anyone that has hung them for a species, they you know, we get in our minds what these animals are doing, but those, those cameras, they don't, they don't lie. <laughs> what's going on in the cameras is what's going on. And I, there's lots of old kind of old West folklore about lions that those cameras have absolutely disproven. Like, um, you know, a common one that, that lions scratch 
back and forth, the females and the tom scratch. Well, they don't. It's just the tom scratching. And, and, and most lion hunters before cameras even come out knew that. But there's there's been books written where lion hunters claim that lions scratch with their front feet. And to your listeners, I don't know if they all know what a lion scratch is. But it's basically yeah, well, like a... Let's back up and, yeah, tell, me, tell the listeners exactly all about um, the lion scratches, how it happens, what they look like, what hunters should look for and, and what have you, how they judge how old they are and go through all of it. Yeah, yeah. They So the lions, you know, there's not much sign that they leave. They they leave footprints and, and when you find their kills where they've been and these, these scratches, which is 99% tom lions. But there, for sure there's instances where we've trailed female lions and it's been 100% of female and they make a scrape. It's usually not a big, deep scratch like the toms are doing. We call them scratches. Some guys call them scrapes. It's basically they, they squat down like they're going to the bathroom and then they kick their back feet and just kind of kick them backwards and drag them backwards. And if you, we got a whole bunch of trail camera video on it. If someone would like to see them and, and lots of people do, they're, they're not hard to, hard to get, but it's basically like a house cat in a litter box. They just pile up a pile of sand or dirt or leaves. Um, so, so when we're I always thought paws, it was their front. I always thought it was their front paws. They would pull it back towards them, but it's their yep, back. Yep, Jay. And there's a trust me. It's written in books of old lion hunters watching, you know, claiming that they do it with their front feet. But it's I've I've yet to see it on any of our our live live footage, you know, with like trail cameras. So um, that that's probably the main sign we're looking for when we're looking for toms and um, and what are they doing? Fresh, 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 I'm sorry. What are they doing when they're doing that? Why are they doing so, that? So that's, I mean, that's as debatable as anything. They, It's kind of a territorial thing. It's kind of just them letting other lions know they're there. There's there's one thing it's definitely disproven is the cameras anyway, is that the toms are communicating with the females and the females are checking these scrapes for toms. And, and that's not true at all because we've got hundreds and hundreds of pictures and hours of video of these at these scratching sites and very rarely is there a female there checking it urinating on it you know marking so i've heard lots of guys claim oh those females check the check the tom scrapes and then they'll they'll urinate on it when they're in heat that way the tom knows to come find her but that that's not the case at all they, every once in a while you'll get a female drifting through there but she's not the frequency the toms use those scratching spots if the females were communicating with them and they were talking back and forth that way, they'd be there just as often. And they're not at all. Um, we've, we've never got captured any footage of a female scraping. That'd be pretty, pretty dang amazing if we did, because they don't, the times we've seen them do it, it just seems kind of random. Whereas when the Tom's scrape, it's they're they're pretty habitual. If they, if they got a spot they like, and, and there's certain, certain environmental cues they, they really focus on and key into whether it's the junction of two big canyons coming together, you know, they'll scrape there or, you know, next to a big boulder or next to a little bluff, they'll scrape there. And it's, and it's, I've kind of learned to guess over the years and you're, you're going through an area riding down a canyon or across the ridge, even, even in saddles, they like to scrape. You can, you can kind of get a feel for off. Oh, I was, if a lion were traveling through here, I bet he goes by that boulder. Um, actually Donnie Finn and I were just up on my elk hunt up in unit one, Donnie was up there with me. And I mentioned he's another houndsman and we were coming down this ridge bugling and cow calling, trying to get an elk to answer. And it was just in the middle of a pine forest. And there's this huge boulder about the size of a pickup truck sticking out of the ground. And 
Donnie and I both looked at each other and said, I bet a lion walked by that thing. And we walked over there, Jay, and sure as, sure as shooting, man, there was a, there was a tom scrape that was pretty fresh right there. And so just little things like that we learn. And like I said, though, anyone that's out there looking and paying attention kind of, kind of learns those things. How can you tell how old, what's your best guess on how you can tell how old those scrapes are? Uh, you just kind of look at, look at the, the sharpness of everything. If it's in really good dirt, you can actually see where their toes drag in it and you can see those little edges in between there. Um, if it's in the right kind of soil, you can, there's actually a difference in color between the soil that's freshly scraped and then the stuff that sat for 10 or 12 hours. Um, so it, it, it's tough to tell. And, and especially for us, cause we ride up to them with 10 dogs and the dogs usually are over there sticking their noses in it and kicking them over before we even get there. So, but as far as the ones that I find on my own, it's, it's, and Jay, I've been fooled so many times. It's, it's, it's sad actually. Hurry, <laughs> you got a, you got a box full of dogs and you find a scrape and you were there the day before and you're like, Oh, this is brand new. He's got to be right ahead of us and put the dogs out and don't even get a bark and check the camera. And, and lo and behold, he was there an hour after you left the morning before. So the track's already, you know, over 24 hours old. So those, those cameras have definitely, definitely been a huge learning tool for me. And it's been interesting for me to see Randy start using them who, you know, has, started lion hunting in the in the early 70s and the stuff the things he's observed and then the things he's gotten to see with the cameras and it's it's pretty wild and it's he's even told me and and i've heard i've heard other way way better lion hunters than me and older lion hunters say that those cameras have just totally disproven so much and and we're not trailing as old the tracks as we think you know i i got guys call me all the time Hey man, I glassed up a lion on my deer hunt. You want to know where it is? And I says, Well, sure. When was it? He says, Oh, it was it was three days ago. I bet your dogs could still get on. And I said, No, no way, man. There, there's a there ain't a dog in the state that can trail and catch a three day old track, Jay. It's just not, it's just not the reality of it. And, and guys claim it, and and I, like I said, our, our dogs are pretty decent. They aren't the best, but I've seen them do some some stuff that. I consider amazing and it's nowhere near that, that old ascent that these, these hounds are running and, and those cameras have shown that well, we put them on them in all kinds of conditions all over the state. And basically a rule of thumb, Jay, it's gotta be six to eight hours old to catch slash trail. And, and when we talk, and so that's the other kind of fine line you talking to hounds then like, so when a hound smells the lion scent, we call it open. They open or they bark, they bay. That's what you hear. And so your good dogs, the dogs with the better noses, when they smell it, they can open. And you might have a dog either less experienced or with, without as good a nose, he'll go smell the scent and he might wag his tail a little bit. And, and that also has to do with the dog's genetics. It's, there's just not enough scent there for him to get excited and bark or whatnot. So, you know, we'll, we'll check a spot and just kind of by learning your dogs, you might have one dog open. She might bark, and so you're thinking, okay, she knows a lion's been here. But that's not really trailing. We consider trailing like she can open, some of your other dogs can open, and, and they're actually moving the track going somewhere with it. And so that's what I'm saying. For At least in southern Arizona and, and kind of Randy, we're always bouncing, bouncing our experiences off each other when we're hunting separate parts of the state. And it, it's the same for him. Those six to eight hours, I mean, it's – that's 
that's a movable track, you know, and sure we've trailed lions 12 hours old and 16, 17 hours old based on where they're walking and the, the moisture and the terrain. But I've, I've never checked my camera. And like I said, with my, my dogs that are decent and a couple buddies, dogs that are very good dogs and said, Oh, all right, he was here a day ago and we take off and trail at six miles. It just, it just doesn't happen. Jay. You just opened up about 40 questions. Let's take a break, but then I've got a, I've got a bunch of questions for you. Phonescope is a company that makes custom-molded, precisely engineered smartphone digiscoping adapters. Photographing wildlife has never been easier. It is simple to text photos and videos from your smartphone and share them with your friends. Phonescope stands behind their product with a 100% money-back guarantee. Get yours now by using the JSCOT16 promo code and receive 10% discount on all purchases. Check them out at Phonescope, that's P-H-O-N-E-S-K-O-P-E dot com, or on Instagram, at Phonescope. Real Game Calls, featuring the Elk Reel. Real Game Calls makes innovative, realistic, and easy-to-master calls using their proprietary, revolutionary design. They are located and manufactured in Gypsum, Colorado. Their calls were designed and battle-tested on some of the hardest-hunted terrain on Earth. Check out ElkReel.com. Use the promo code JSCOTT and receive a 20% discount on all purchases. Go to www.ElkReel.com. Okay, Andy, let's back up for a second here. Size of track uh, for those deer hunters, elk hunters, uh, hunters and bird hunters out there in general, uh, when they see a track, uh, uh, what are they looking for? What is a distinguished, like, I know this sounds stupid to you, but, oh, no, that's a coyote track. Oh, no, that's a lion track. Oh, no, that's a bobcat track. Tell me the distinct differences between those and then talk about the size of the track. Well, I don't, I don't know if you're asking the right guy. Cause about three years ago, I had Randy drive across the state to come check this Tom track with me. And he got there and just shook his head and it was just a big old dog track. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so we, we get fooled every once in a while, but for the most part, Jay, what, what we look for is just that, they're really flat and smooth and almost shiny looking a lion track. And, it, and it's so dependent on the type of dirt they're stepping in and whatnot. But the, the shape is different, but I, I'm not kidding, Jay. It, it can fool even the best of us. I've, every one of us has been fooled by it. And, and we're looking at thousands of dog tracks a day and maybe hundreds of lions a track, you know, if you're trailing one along and, and they just, after a while and, Dale Lee's an old, old famous lion hunter from this part of the country. And he, he tells a funny story. He's riding along with a client and the dogs are trailing and, you know, they're trailing down a dusty trail and there's, you got 10 hounds with you with four feet, you know, there's 40, 40 dog tracks versus the, the four lion footprints, you know, and he looks down and he says, there's a lion track right there. And the client says, now, how the heck did you know the difference, Dale? And he says, well, that track, yeah, it looks like the dog track, just like your face looks like my face, but there's a, there's a distinct difference. And, and that's, I always think of that because they are, they, they look as different as you're in my face, even though, yeah, there's four toes and a pad, you know? So, yeah. um, if they're Is usually any, really careful, um, they're really, go ahead. 
Is there any common things to look for, like you know, thicker pads? You know, give give kind of a, a rough yeah, I mean, difference. An average an average dog foot versus an average lion foot. The, the back pad's going to be proportionately bigger on a lion. So the toes are kind of a little more in a line, whereas on a dog they're a little more rounded as far as the shape and how they a dog usually sets his foot down pretty sloppily. So it's usually not that cut and clear, you know, whereas a lion's really careful with their feet. So that that's a and then the obvious ones with three lobes on the back and shoot you can look up lion images all day and on on the internet, you know, and that that helps, but it's honestly it's it's not as easy as you'd think, and I, I still get fooled plenty of times. But a lot of it is just where they're walking. A lot of, um, like if we're walking down a canyon and we're it's in obvious sand, we can we can usually pick it up pretty easy. But you know if you're watching and you got a bunch of dog tracks and a lion a lion typically likes to stay in cover. So if he's got a big say desert wash that's 50 yards across, usually he's gonna hug to one side or the other to stay in the brush line just I think it's just their nature to you know kind of stay concealed yeah they'll walk down the middle of them sometimes but if, if you watch where the dogs strike most of the time it's usually up along the brush on on the, on the sides of canyons and stuff conditions best for tracking um at, at, let's talk dry ground here no snow what temperature for you is optimal for for catching and having your dogs really open up if, if there was a say a five degree temperature variance or 10 degree what would you like to see oh man that's a <laughs> that's probably what we spend most our time talking about right there when when lion hunters get together is what 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 the dogs are actually trailing what can they trail the age of them and conditions and i i'll tell you what jay we have we have trailed the fire out of some lions as hard as we can hike or as fast as those mules can ride hard as the dogs can run in warm hot weather and we've done it in cold dry weather and it's it's I, it's so dependent on the exact situation um my in my my opinion the hardest conditions to work with is when it's really wet and it's freezing and thawing every day and every night like after we get those wet winter storms and it's freezing and thawing freezing and thawing it will it will make you it will make you crazy just because the dogs can sell, smell it in some spots and it, it's a we've we've had lion tracks frozen in the mud and put the dogs on it and they can't smell it and we go check another part of the mountain and come back four hours later and that mud's thawed and they trail it like that lion's right ahead of them so it's it's honestly if I had to pick mine I'd want it cold and dry just uniform dry. You know, a week or two after like blue, storm. like bluebird, bluebird type, like like thirty to forty in those lows, and like you know sixty it, it, during the day. Just bluebird. There you go. There you go. No, not freezing at night, cold, but not hotter than sixty, seventy. It's just it's a lot more consistent that way. You know, I we like I said, we hunt year round, and the summers summers get pretty brutal down here, and and we catch a few lions, but it's not we're not trailing. 10, 15 miles in the summer, A, it's just the scent's not, doesn't act the same in the summer. And B, you, you just, dogs will burn up in, in that kind of, that kind of temperature. And, and it's, and it's that moisture and that humidity is really hard on it. We've, we've cut lion tracks like in the summers when it monsoons in the evening and 
you're there at first light, you know, four o'clock in the morning when it's getting light early in the summers and you find a brand new track. I did it half a dozen times this summer and that track's two, three hours old and you put the dogs on it and they can usually trail it pretty good. But I'm not kidding. If that temperature comes up 10 degrees and if that sun hits it at all, it's usually just instantly over. And it's, there's something with the, the scent molecules with that humidity that it just really wipes them out. So we, and some guys might argue it. Some guys might've had better luck in the moisture, but as far as what I've seen with Randy and my experiences, it's just uniform dry. And when I say dry, I'm not talking bone dry. I mean like not that surface moisture a couple of days after a storm. I'm talking like a week after any kind of moisture event we had, you know, where there's moisture under the ground, but not on the surface, like no standing puddles just kind of kind of ground moisture but but yeah not not that freezing and thawing that that sure makes it tough as a houndsman when i say the word choya cactus what do you think oh man i I think i want to hang (laughs) up now yeah that stuff's pretty nasty eh? (laughs) you tend Uh, to you tend to try and just not hunt in elevations where they're gonna your dogs are gonna end up chasing them down in the choya. I don't. I it's just not fun for me, Jay. I don't need to catch a lion that bad. That stuff is a wreck. And if you're horseback and it gets in the dogs, it always ends up in the horses. I don't know how it happens. You can tie your horse fifty yards away and get off to help a dog and those teddy bear choya, they call them jumping cactus for a reason. They end up everywhere. We carry like a little comb with us or a, a fro pick so to say and and that, that those work the best trying to pull them out with pliers it's it's a nightmare so but those stinking lions jay they pick their way through that and a lot of that country in the 36s is covered in it and those mule deer get out in it and eat the fruits off it and those lions go right in there and and they they dang sure hunt it and but to me it's just not enjoyable the whole time you're just worried about it and it's always your best dog that gets full of it. So then she's not hunting. It's just, <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's too many other places to hunt, but I know guys hunting it. They, they, they must have tougher dogs than me. I mean, um, is, is it easy to say that the dogs will be covered in the choya, but have you very rarely ever had a lion that you've caught that has any choya in them at all? What is it about a cat or a lion that they're just so clean and they just, I mean, I can picture them walking through a choya field and not even getting any choya on them at all. Is it, have you found that to be true or? Yeah, no, they, I, I mean, we don't, like I said, I don't hunt it that much. I don't, I don't catch them in there, but I've, I've never, the few I have caught in there, I've never seen them even with anything in it. You know, though, you know, when you skin a coos deer and you see all the little lechuguia thorn heads broke off under their, under their hide, you know, Mm-hmm. You'll see that every once in a while on the lion's forearms, but it, I think that's the same thing, just walking through that cat claw and getting all the thorns in them. But as far as like like when you drive out in those flats and you see the cattle with the choya stuck on the side of their head or nothing, I, I've never seen a, a lion like that. I mean, and if usually they get them on it, it's, it's those last few minutes of the hunt where the dogs are putting pressure on them and they, they got to do something. Make a mistake. Yeah. Make a mistake, right. I, I think if they're moving through that hunting deer, they don't it doesn't even phase them. I think they know where their feet are. They're so conscious of it. And, um, Donnie Fenn, that friend of mine, he lives just east of here in Benson and he hunts some of the roughest country country in the state. He's, I'm talking dry, rocky cactus country. And Donnie loves it. I, when I hunt with him, I try to convince him to go hunt where it's a little nicer riding, but his, his dogs are, are super tough. There's some of the 
best trailing dogs we got in the state and he runs them through that choya not on purpose but he'll hunt all around it and man i'm always i'm always just amazed at how how and i think his dogs learn a lot better than say dogs like mine or randy's that don't get exposed to it as much that those dogs just learn to stay out of it and but of the all the lions he catches i've never i've never seen pictures with where they got the cactus in them so they're they're pretty careful animals what about rattlesnakes and your dogs yeah that's that's just kind of part of the world <laughs> world we live in down here i we usually get about one snake bit a year and it's we do our best to holler at them or the dogs all have the training collars on and if we come around a rattlesnake and and it's weird each dog's different some are super aggressive toward them and want to go bite it when they hear the snake buzzing some just naturally shy away from it but usually when they get bit they're not even they're not even messing with it usually they're just running through the grass and they just step on it or get, or get nailed but for the most part we just keep them on a on an antibiotic and a steroid for the swelling and for the most part they don't they get over it fairly well they're those dogs are pretty pretty resilient so can you tell pretty quick if your dogs got bit? I mean, do they do they swell up pretty fast, or how do you oh, know oh, yeah. they've been bit? Yeah, usually, and I, and I, I, it's hard to say whether it was a dry bite or a wet bite. You always hear people say that, but the ones I've had bit, you usually hear them yelp, or you see them packing a foot and kind of keep an eye on it. And usually within ten or fifteen minutes, it's showing, and by the time you get them home, it's they're it's a pretty sad story. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about um, country that lions, I, I know you're probably going to dodge this question a little bit and I don't blame you, but in general, let's talk about country that lions like. What have you perceived? What have you learned that, that you know, we I can, you know, pass on to the listeners here that are deer hunters or whatever. And I know a lot of people are fascinated with lions. What kind of country, what kind of common characteristics do you find that, you know, more there's more lions in xyz country yep well that's a pretty easy answer because if there's something there to eat there's going to be a lion there there's just not jay we found those lions in the most desolate creosote flats hunting jackrabbits and way out way out on the strip was just sagebrush you know out in that powdered dirt you find a little female lion out there and i'm i'm talking there in a canyon for two or three miles whether she's living out there or just traveling through there, but yeah. And then say in the middle of the Catalina mountains where there's deer and javelina, yeah, you're going to find lions there. They're those, those lions are, I don't want to say they're as resilient as a coyote as far as what they can adapt and where they can live, but, but just about dang near shoot. They, they live in the middle of Tucson eating people's house cats and dogs. You know, they're, I, I think the way it, what happens is, is us as lion hunters, we tend to have country we favor, favor. So you're going to see, you know, lots more pictures of lions caught, you know, A, in snow conditions up in the pines and everything. Well, that's where it snows and that's where guys hunt or down here in kind of the rolling grasslands and oaks. Oh, those guys are always catching lions and oaks. Well, that's because we like hunting that country. It's, it's beautiful and it's fun to get around in and easy to get around in. And, you know, but I'm not kidding. I'll, I'll go ride some of this country with Donnie down here and, he'll take me into stuff and I just shake my head. I'm like, there, there ain't a pack rat in this, this area, you know, and lo and behold, by a couple of days of hunting it, we find a lion in there and end up trailing it and then sometimes catch them. And they're, they're, 
they're pretty pretty awesome animals as far as what they can survive on. And so people always ask us that, you know, well, what's the best lion habitat? Well, really, if it is lion habitat, there's going to be a lion in it. And and so guys say, well, yeah, but there's got to be some better than others. Well, that's that's us humans putting that emphasis on what's better and what's not. If there's like there's no such thing as marginal habitat. It's either habitat and they live there, or it's not. It's not. There's really nothing nothing in between and so if there's a lion living there it's got you know all the everything it needs the food water shelter everything all all the biological species need to to, to exist there 